In counseling and in life, we get to witness boundaries being used in a variety of ways, sometimes in healthy, adaptive ways that are a blessing to everyone involved, but also sometimes in ways that are not as helpful. Sometimes we see family members cut one another off and they call that setting a boundary, probably in the hopes that it validates their action as a healthy sounding choice. Other times boundaries are used in a manipulative way, and sometimes they're not used at all when they should be. So today we want to focus specifically on how to set boundaries in a kind way. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have a thoughtful episode for you this week. This is episode number 245, and today we're going to be talking about how to set boundaries in a kind way. Hey there, before we get started, if you missed last week's episode, we discussed the four horsemen. Those are four behaviors that are very likely to lead to marital failure. So that's worth going back and checking out. Also make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. And something else you don't want to miss is our cruise, the marriage cruise for Christian couples, February 2020, departing from Fort Lauderdale, I do believe, down in Florida. Yep. And Caleb, last week we went over the first couple sessions. Sure. Oh, yeah. So a couple more while sessions. we're cruising on the Caribbean, what else are we going to be talking about? Yeah. So we time these sessions so they happen around the port calls or on yeah. sea days. So you don't kind of have to miss any of the cruise fun. It just is, uh, you know, great sort of downtime to. It's extra rather than. Yeah. Instead of. To reconnect. And... Yeah. Now, session three is about sex. Mm-hmm. And. It's a funny session. It's always a little bit quiet in the room. <laughs> yeah. Because everybody's like, he's talking about sex. But, you know, we kind of get into routines and ruts as couples. And uh, this just gives us a chance to go back and kind of review the whole spectrum of our sexuality and our sexual mm-hmm. intimacy as couples and to open up the conversation around some of those things. Yes. I think that's what someone said after the last cruise. It's like, it's so much easier to have those conversations once they're already started in yeah. the session. Yeah. Then it's just a continuing of the conversation. It's not like trying to bring it up. Yeah. So if you're in a little bit of a rut and we all get into ruts, uh, it's a great session for you. And then the fourth session is about supporting each other through difficult times. So we kind of mm-hmm. pivot and uh, turn towards the challenges that couples are facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at how we respond to those differently as husbands and wives and uh, look and then how to talk about those issues uh, as you know, to whether they're something that you're able to change or whether they're difficult to change, whether they're high priority or low priority, mm-hmm. we kind of map those things out in a mm-hmm. quadrant. And, and that really helps distill what matters to your spouse right now. So things that, you know, they might've kind of been mentioning, you know, they're, they're there, but you didn't realize that this How is really important, important and that yeah. I can help you with it ah. kind of thing. Right. So, so couples, you know, while they bring up difficult stuff during this session, they leave this with a lot of hope because it's like, okay, now my spouse sees it and we have a little, we have some ideas right. about how we're going to work on you this. You become unstuck. Yeah. Yeah. So it really helps move forward through current challenges or maybe even long-term challenges that you've been facing as a couple that have been kind of gotten, like Berlin said, got stuck. Yeah. So back to today though, 
If you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound research-based advice, and most of all, we offer hope. Yep. So let's get into the topic of boundaries, Caleb. What are boundaries? Yeah, so the term is used to define rules and limits that you set in a particular relationship in order to establish a sense of safety. That's usually the primary purpose. And in particular, that sense of safety comes from an appropriate balance of closeness or distance in the relationship. In the context of marriage, boundaries are mostly used to set the terms in which you're willing to be close to your spouse. Okay. And uh, for example, you might say, I'm not, I'm not going to discuss our marriage issues with you when you're under the influence of alcohol, mm-hmm. right? So that might be a boundary is setting the terms on which you're willing to be close yep. to your spouse. Or, uh, you know, I am willing to experiment with you on incorporating that new technique or idea or role play I, or fantasy that you have into our sexuality. But I need to know that if I ask you to stop, you'll stop. That's okay. a boundary that says, is stating the terms on which you're willing to engage in you know, something around your sexuality. Okay. As a couple, right? So why are they so important? Like why is a boundary important in a relationship? Well, as I mentioned, it helps establish a sense of safety and that's foundational for trust. Okay. Yeah. Trust is foundational for deepening your intimacy as a couple. But I think boundaries also help the individuals in the relationship to feel comfortable. And then the other thing too, that's worth noting is that they relate to self-esteem. So, I mean, let's just kind of unpack this a little bit. Boundaries often define ownership and responsibility. And those are issues that also relate to self-esteem. They set out the terms of what each person is responsible for in the relationship. Each spouse is, you know, for example, responsible for their own bodies, their own words, emotions, attitudes, values, preferences. Right. And when each of you understand those boundaries and agree to abide by them, then emotional intimacy has a strong foundation to grow on. So when you say understand these boundaries, that's like what your spouse um, prefers? surrounding their body and everything or just the boundary is that you're both responsible for yourselves i'm just a little bit unsure what you meant by that uh it's what your spouse prefers as it relates to their body their values how the words how they want to be so it's like me respecting that yeah and so that's how i agree to abide by your boundary because that's how you but it's also you respecting yourself by telling me what you need oh right so it goes both ways okay and so that's how the emotional intimacy is yeah growing there okay And that's the reason why marriage vows are important because both parties are stating some basic terms that they agree are essential to the relationship to create safety, mm. to create a foundation for trust, for intimacy. Okay. okay, yeah. And sometimes there are additional explicitly stated boundaries. So for example, uh, one spouse might say, I do not want you texting other men or women, right? That, that right. might, for whatever reason, that might be a sensitivity with that person, not stated in the marriage vows, but they are oh, terms I for see. the relationship. Okay. And then there might be, implicit boundaries that's that are like not stated but not stated but are are there and um you know those are interesting too for example i expect that as long as you're able-bodied you will work to provide for our family that might be one spouse mm-hmm. might have that expectation yeah as a boundary yeah it might be implicitly stated okay i uh, know there's no such thing as implicitly stated it's just, <laughs> just it's imp- held right yeah yeah and you know it's always really interesting to me as a marriage therapist when you have an implicit one that seems obvious and then one person violates it and the other person is like, well, you know, I never made them promise this, but they're not doing this. Like, this is not what I married you for. Okay. And that becomes interesting, right? So, hmm, okay. Sometimes tough to sort through. Yeah. And, and in marriage, like we, we need to be clear about who we are with our spouse, what we want, what are our beliefs, our values, and even our restrictions in order to create those boundaries. If we don't create these boundaries, then we might spend a lot of time and energy just trying to become more like the other person, more like your spouse all the time and often at your own expense. Mm. So for example, like this example, I guess I'm more the introvert, you're more the extrovert, right? Yeah. Um, 
So you might see that I need quiet time alone to recharge. Yeah. But you need group time with others to recharge. Yeah. And so you might say to me, you know what? I'm going to take time to meet every week with a prayer group from church or to have some group time in order to stay healthy and feel good about my place in the world. I'm not just going to hibernate all week because that's what you need in order to recharge because that's going to deplete me. So it's understanding uh, what you need versus what your spouse needs okay, too, right? Okay. And that that's more important for you to do that than to stay healthy in that way than it is to become like me and to try to make my introverted way of recharging work for you. Right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think it kind of makes the point that boundaries are important to self-definition then too, right? And to self-care, like yes, who you are, yes. what you need to self-esteem, to comfort, to safety. And that mm-hmm. may all sound selfish, selfish, but the goal here should be towards the relationship when doing this so that I'm setting boundaries that allow me to give myself more fully and completely to the marriage in an expression of healthy independence and interdependence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just the word boundary just seems so different from giving myself more fully. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it. Yeah. It gives the mental image of taking myself away, like I'm setting a boundary, I'm pushing something further away or not letting it in, when in reality, it should be so that I can give myself more fully and completely and have independence, but interdependence. Right. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm going with the title of the episode, how to set boundaries in a kind way. Because often when I hear people talking about boundaries, it's like how I'm setting a fence around you or me or... Or, bit, or something I'm cutting between us. them off yeah. or something and that's, like that. I think people do that because they picked up this psychological term and it sounds like something healthy and it excuses their bad behavior mm-hmm. or their their unwillingness to grapple with the, the more difficult conversation about what needs to be done so that we can move towards each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. But, you know, in its proper sense and term and, and set of terms, boundaries really do describe how people can move towards each other. Hmm. Interesting. Not how they're building walls between themselves. Yeah. So, so different from the stonewalling. Yes. That we, we might say that it's a boundary, but it's not a boundary at all. No. It's just a cut off with a, a word that we're borrowing from something else. <laughs> okay. So we want to get into how to set these, but uh, once again, we've created a bonus worksheet for our supporters that we appreciate so much. Those that support us on Patreon and our community there that help make this podcast possible. This worksheet breaks down the process for you with a step-by-step guide to identifying, describing, and then communicating a boundary that you know you need to set. So if you want help stepping through that in a detailed, thoughtful way, you want to get the worksheet that we've created to go along with this episode. And you can get this by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. We'll take a short break here to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive, and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible, and to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at oyf.support. That's oyf.support. 
You're listening to The Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we were talking about why boundaries are important. Uh, let's talk about how to set them in marriage in a kind way. And let's also talk about how to set boundaries with in-laws or parents, because that's a common area of challenge as well. Okay. So how do we set them in a kind way? Well, I think the first thing is to communicate openly. So while it is very normal to need time to collect your thoughts and feelings, uh, don't use that as an excuse to prevent this discussion from happening. So we might avoid a discussion around a boundary because we're scared of hurting the other person Mm -hmm. sometimes, or it just feels like it's going to be an uncomfortable discussion. Mm -hmm. We want to avoid that discomfort. And while hurting them should obviously should not be a goal, sometimes we have to understand that it's unavoidable, especially when we're setting a boundary that limits a certain kind of behavior. Then there is an element of confrontation and it is inevitable, but that your spouse is going to react to that. But you don't You don't need to divert into blaming or into the victim stance or any of that. Just be frank, be respectful, and communicate the boundary in a clear, straightforward manner. Okay. So can you give an example of a boundary or something here? A boundary like this is like, um, you know, I've noticed that when we go over to so-and-so's house, whatever happens there, you you tend to make fun of me a lot more in front of that couple. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, if that continues, then I'm just not going to be able to go with you over to their house anymore. Okay. Because I need to know that when I'm there, that I'm still respected and valued by you. Okay. So you've stated it clearly. So the boundary is... And you could be like, well, you're saying that I'm acting like a jerk when I'm over there, right? And you're quite hurt that like, what? We just have a good time and why are you oh, so sensitive? Joking. And Okay. Okay. It's not like we're just joking. Like you're not trying to do anything. Like So the you know, it could be hurt and offended that you're like, you're not even going to go to me there with me to their house. Like, right. But, but, but that's, it, that's for safety for yourself. And it's setting the loving terms of engagement. Like I need to know when I'm there that I'm also cherished by you because that's not happening. Whatever's going on. Okay. Yep. Okay. And that's just communicating it openly. So they know what's going on. Right. Right. Okay. Now, when you do set a boundary too, the next thing is you need to be willing to follow through on it. Which I think would be the hard part. Yeah. And, and we're going to talk about this a little bit here. Uh, we'll come back to like enforceable consequences in a moment, but it's possible that it might even be worse to set a boundary and then not stick to it mm, than yeah. to never upset one at all. Okay. You know, when you set a boundary, you don't follow through. It gives your spouse an excuse to keep crossing the boundary. It really kind of weakens your position in the relationship. Well, there really is no boundary. Not really. If you're not going to enforce a consequence. It's just right? a complaint, really. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, in some cases you may wish to just issue a complaint. Just says, when you do this, this is how it affects me. Right. And let your spouse see if they can figure it out. Right. Not everything has to be a boundary. Right. Yeah. But then that's not a boundary. No, it's a complaint, but a complaint is also legitimate. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. So having said that, you know, sometimes we recognize a boundary was too vague after the fact, or we might be confronted with a unique situation where it seems to fit the boundary that we've set. But you know what? We need to make an exception, like something different happened in that scenario. So you can make an exception to a boundary, but it should only be done with careful consideration. It would be prudent to state why you're making that exception. Oh, okay. Right? Otherwise, it it is necessary to follow through on your boundary, right? If you felt enough self-respect to assert the boundary, you should feel enough to follow through on the boundary as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense? Yeah. The next part is being clear in it on who owns what. So rather than blaming your spouse for how you feel... And this is more as you're giving consideration to setting a boundary. You want to take a step back and reflect on the decisions that you've made within the relationship too. Like how have those decisions contributed to bringing about this point of contention or even facilitated the boundary violation? So while you may choose to set a boundary, you want to be careful not to set your spouse in a double bind or in a no-win situation too. 
Okay. Probably an this example would not, help. Yeah, there, this maybe. one's not quite as clear. Like you have to give them somehow where if they change, you can relate again or yeah. something like that. That's right. Like the boundary has to be set up in a way that they can move towards you. But yeah. it, one example of um, like a, a double bind or a no-win situation, and I'm just going to say this very carefully, is if I come to a point in my marriage to you where I'm not willing to be sexual with you in any way, mm-hmm. and I'm not willing to talk to you about that, mm-hmm. and I, I've, I still have the expectation that you will not go outside of the marriage sexually, Okay. then really I'm breaking my side of the marriage covenant, which is to give myself to you sexually. Okay. While expecting you not to break your side of the marriage covenant. Oh, okay. It's really a double bind, right? Okay. So how is So that's that's that not a boundary. A, so my my boundary in there is that you're not allowed to have any kind of sexual experience on your own or outside of our marriage. But then not part of the boundary is the fact that I'm not willing to give you any sexual intimacy either. Oh, so that's how it's a double bind. It's a double bind, right? Oh, now, is I that see. really a fair Boundary. I'm not saying you should open up your, make your marriage an open marriage as a no, result. No. But uh, this is just the kind of situation where, where you want to be clear on who owns what. So, you know, your, your spouse in this case might say like, you know what, I'm not even allowed to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. If, you know, they were open to the idea of masturbation or something like that, but then I can't have sex with you either. Like, and they might get very frustrated with you because they're in a double bind. Okay. But I thought you just said that a boundary was you know, like a healthy thing to bring you together. Right. So in my mind, that's not a boundary. That's just right. a controlling issue right. or whatever. Right. So something's off there, right? Yeah. And and this is where you need to begin to collaborate. This is not a, around a boundary issue anymore, although it might look like there was a boundary set around it. That's oh, kind of what I'm saying. Okay. So it's like, how can you guys move towards each other now? How can you solve this or restore some aspect of sexuality to your marriage? Even okay. if maybe for health reasons or whatever, you're not, available like you used to be. Yeah. You know, is there some way that there can be sexual intimacy, even that's not like sex in -hmm. its strictest form between you guys. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of one example. That one's a little bit foggier, but it's just kind of really watching that, you know, there's a fairness to... A fairness to your boundary. Okay. That makes sense then. Yeah. Okay. Now, kind of coming back to what we were saying about following through on the boundary is just this idea of choosing enforceable consequences. So quite often, like the one example I gave is, you know what, if we're going to go to their house and I'm going to be mocked there, yeah. then I don't want, I'm not going to go there with you anymore. Right. So that that's, you know, that's choosing an enforceable consequence. Okay. Right. Because it's very clear that you just wouldn't yep. go. Okay. Yeah. Now you may not wish to have consequences for every boundary. That might look more like a complaint, which is just sort of saying, you know what, when you do this, I feel this way and I would right. like you to not do that. Okay. Right. But for most you will, or you'll or in some cases you want maybe a selection of potential consequences from which you can choose what seems most appropriate to the violation of the boundary. So let's say your your spouse just generally teases you anywhere and it's getting to the point where it's uncomfortable. You can see it's uncomfortable even for other people mm-hmm. and it just feels like it's too much, right? Mm-hmm. So you might choose what seems to be appropriate. They're basically like, I'm going to call you out on the spot. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to take the kids and leave. Or I'm going to talk to you about this afterwards and we're going to sort out what was going on for you in that moment because this has to stop, right? Okay. And so, you know, if if you see your spouse really trying one evening and they've recognized they've got into a pattern or a bad habit and, you know, a little kind of side jab comes out and and you can see them almost flinch like they recognized, Mm -hmm. right? Then you're like, okay, I don't have to enforce the I'm going to walk out of here and make a scene. Right. Because sometimes what I see couples doing is, is 
one of them will set the boundary with too harsh of a consequence and then a milder behavior happens. And they're like, well, if I don't follow through on the consequence, mm. then the boundary is nullified really. Okay. So this is, in those cases, it can be helpful to have a spectrum of potential consequences. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're still upholding the boundary by talking to your spouse afterwards. Or if you mm-hmm. go somewhere and they're just like totally lost consciousness of you and your needs, yeah, then you can confront them and walk out if right. that seems appropriate. So you have that available. Okay. But it's got to fit the violation. It should be proportionate to the violation. Uh, and that's where I say it's best to program a little flexibility in there because it binds you to the boundary almost as much mm-hmm. as it binds them to it, right? Okay. Yeah. Do we need another example on that or do do we think we have that illustrated out okay? Uh, it makes sense to me. Okay. So these kinds of things can get complex in a hurry and that's why it's important to be clear about the terms of the boundary and also the consequences of the boundary and then to leave yourself the option of which consequences you'll enforce and to what extent. And where this often, I get very nuanced with this working with uh, couples, especially where it's a partner of a sex addict or the partner of a porn addict. Mm-hmm. It becomes much more detailed and a nuanced discussion We have to consider the possibility of slips or relapses or of someone really going all the way back into their addiction. Mm, Okay. And so all of that might have the same initiating behavior that you'll see, but the level of response, you may choose to adjust based on whether you see this as a slip or relapse or whether they're really going back into the addiction, they're giving up on their recovery, right? Okay. And that's something you definitely want to work through with your therapist in order to come up with a robust, reasonable set of boundaries. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So just make sure they're enforceable and reasonable. Yeah. And so, and that's kind of ending on the more severe end of boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, that's a kind way of letting a person that you're supporting them in their recovery, but you're letting them know the terms in which you're willing to be married to them while they're in the recovery from even right. something as serious as a sex addiction. So that's how a boundary is like a kind, loving thing because it's saying, I want a relationship with you, yeah. but I can't... But out of self-respect, like relationship. Even, yeah. yeah, for my safety with regards to STDs, if this happens, right. these are the consequences. You're going to go see a doctor. You're going to get tested. You have to leave the house for a week. Or if it's like a full-blown, you give up on recovery and I can see you're just not taking this seriously mm-hmm. after six months, I may choose divorce. Okay. So there's okay. a spectrum of responses there yeah. that you leave available to yourself. And but, you can communicate all of those possibilities at the start. But you're you're doing it for the sake of the relationship. Yeah, for the sake of restoring To make that relationship it. available. You're not just yes. stonewalling or walking out. Right. You're saying, I want this. Right. Huh. And that's how it differs from an ultimatum too. It really offers the possibility of how we can continue together, even yeah. in the face of something that is so destructive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's it in... In marriage, you said we were going to talk about in-laws, I think. Yeah, I should say in-laws are parents too, not just to vilify the one. Well, in-laws are the parents of one spouse, so. They are. (laughs) Yeah. Boundaries in this context are often a little bit, well, I don't know if I should say they're more complex. Maybe they have a different kind of complexity. Okay. Uh, First of all, it's not uncommon that one of the spouses will feel torn between their partner and their parents. When the parents cross a boundary and things get worse or get tense, right? You understand maybe your parents, you see them with more compassion. Your spouse maybe does not understand. They may not feel the same compassion. Yeah. And often these boundary violations are around parenting philosophies, which really touch on some core identity issues. So they may go pretty deep for all the involved parties. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So here's some thoughts for you to consider. The first thing is to figure out boundaries ahead of time with your spouse. So 
I think that you would want loyalty to be first and foremost to your marriage. That's where the initial loyalty direction should lie is towards right. your spouse. So both right? spouses should be loyal to each other yeah. first. Okay. And so your loyalty is first to that new family unit that you've created. Okay. And that means that you need to speak to your spouse to understand what the issue is and how to set a clear, respectful boundary. So for example, if your mother-in-law takes over the kitchen every time she visits in your home, mm-hmm. Then you might try something like, mom, we love that you want to help us out by cooking. We know that you really enjoy it, but we'd appreciate it if you'd let my wife take the lead in our kitchen. So if you mm-hmm. want to help, she'd really appreciate it if you could bring a salad for tonight's dinner. Okay. And initially there, there's no consequence set, right? And it's kind because it's showing the terms on which she can engage. And I think this is critical because if you don't set a boundary at all, there's just going to be resentment and anger because this woman is coming in and taking over taking your kitchen over. every time. Yeah. And and you get so frustrated and annoyed with her, there's no kindness at work there. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, she's never coming over. We're done. Right. Or if you say something, it's going to cause offense. And- yeah. If you stop inviting her over, there's no kindness. Okay. If you just get mad and have explosion at her, there's no kindness. So while she may balk at being told something like this, like this boundary being set and even express indignation that you would say this to her, mm-hmm. you're communicating the terms on which she's welcome to move towards you. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that's key to setting kind boundaries. It's not about cutting off. It should take away anger and other dysfunctional ways of shaping the relationship. And it should set out the terms on which a loving connection can happen. And that's why boundaries are a good thing or should be a good thing. Okay. But does this not sound a little bit stuck up? Like I'm communicating the terms on which you are welcome to move towards me. Like on my terms. Is that not just saying like every relationship that I have is going to be on my terms and you do what I say or you have no relationship with me? Like to me, that just is a totally selfish way of living, self-centered. Well, if it, if for a person, you know, you're using boundaries, manipulative as a way of control. Yeah. Because you have like a very narrow paradigm on which you're going to end up driving all your friends away for you and people just going to be like, yeah, not worth it. Okay. Right. So this will backfire on you. But this is more for the situation where, you know, mom doesn't really see what she's doing. Mm -hmm. You guys want mom to be part of your lives, Mm -hmm. part of your grandkids' lives. But she's just so kind of violating your space, like your kitchen, your home, your sense of this belonging to you yeah, and disturbing you that it's like, I can't have that and her. So this part needs to go. Okay. So this isn't like... Okay, I'm coming into this relationship with my new husband. I'm going to set up all these boundaries no. around my in-laws. This is like after there's some give and take and getting used to new relationships and new people. Yeah. And if there's something that is overwhelming and you can't live with, then you set a kind boundary. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Like I almost think that if if you're a couple and you 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 feel yourself moving to the point where you know what this is such a point of frustration for me that I want nothing to do with these people. Mm-hmm. That's a signal that you need to set a boundary around something okay. so that you can have something to do with these people okay. and you can let them know this is how I'm willing to be with okay. you. Yeah. Okay. Cause I was almost getting the impression that it's a list of rules that I'm going to set out oh, and give to yeah, my new no. mother-in-law that if you want a relationship with me, this is how it's going to go. What a great start. Yeah. Not going to go well. Yeah. Okay. Now that's, we sort of gave like a kitchen example there or whatever, yeah. like a home, my space kind of thing. But right. often this stuff comes up around parenting where grandma's uh-huh. like starting to reprimand your child, mm-hmm. right? Or grandpa maybe. And it's good to remember that your parents or your in-laws, their opinion is just an opinion. Mm-hmm. So this is a helpful Even thing. Even though they right. don't think it's just an opinion. They think maybe. it's the right way to do and the only way to do things, right? People uh-huh. have so many opinions on parenting and such a variety of perspectives. But if you can remember that they're just opinions. So if one of the in-laws says you should feed your child a different diet, 
you can remember kind of inside your head, you know what? I don't have to follow their advice. I don't have to argue them out of their opinion Mm. to convince them otherwise. And I don't even need to take what they've said as a critique of what I'm doing, as a criticism that somehow... That's you know, just their opinion. I'm flawed because I can't feed my child properly. Hmm. So you can't stop your in-law from talking, but you can control how you hear them and how you react to them. That part is within your influence, right? Mm-hmm. Within your control. So sometimes you may not even need a stated boundary. You may just choose to set a mental boundary in your head that says, you know what? I'll take my mother-in-law's opinions on feeding children as an expression of her perspective and no more. Okay. I choose not to see it as a criticism of how I'm feeding my children. Okay. And that creates basic emotional distance. She kind of does her little thing. It goes in one ear out the other and you keep feeding your kids whatever you like feeding your kids. Okay. Now, if your mother-in-law is persistent or even becomes critical to the point where it's causing distress, again, that's kind of back to the signal that I talked about earlier. Yeah. Then you may choose to state a boundary. Something like, you know what? You're welcome to come over and it is clear that we have different values and priorities around feeding our children than you do. And we are so thankful for how you raised me and for all the wonderful meals you made me when I was growing up. But if you're not able to respect our values and let us parent how we choose to and feed our children how we decide to without commenting and criticizing, then we're not going to be able to have you over for meals. It's just become too distressing for us because it's happening every time. Okay. Yeah. So then now it's their choice. If they come over and don't say anything, then you can continue having them over. But if they come over and continue to criticize that... Then the next time you might reaffirm the boundary with a consequence made a little bit more clear, we're not going to be able to have you over if you can't kind of get out in front of this mom. Right. And then you may have to enforce that and just not invite them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then the third part, and I think you were alluding to this earlier, Verlinda, is remembering that these are just people, right? So sometimes it can be helpful just to shift your perspective on your in-laws. Instead of seeing them as, you know, parents, can you just treat them like other people that you're gradually getting to know? Mm, Yeah, Uh, because you're thrown into this relationship. Yeah. That's a close relationship. Yeah. And you really don't know them. Yeah. And this might just help you kind of lower your expectations of them to be something ideal. Mm. Just embrace them for who they are. Yeah. Another aspect of this is respecting that while they may just be people to you, to your spouse, their family. Your spouse has an attachment, yeah. like a love bond to his or her parents, even with the frustrations they may have. Yeah. So when setting a boundary, while it is important to protect the interests of your marriage, it's prudent also to honor that attachment bond that your spouse has to his or her parents. Mm, this so, kind of gets complicated. Yeah, it calls us to be more nuanced when setting a boundary to make it as kind as possible again, rather than be harsh or forceful about it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah, I think so. So how is a cutoff then not a boundary? Well, a cutoff doesn't set terms for re-engagement. So the person might not know what they did wrong. Right. And and you're ending a relationship. They don't know how they can continue in relationship with you. Yeah. Basically, my definition is, and I think this goes back to Cloud and Townsend who really first articulated this boundaries thing like Mm -hmm. 20, 30 years ago, is that it's, it's setting the terms on which you can engage. Okay. Whereas a cutoff is just setting the terms of the disengagement. Mm, so that's why it's not a boundary. It's not for a relationship. It's yeah. it's to, to end a relationship. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And there may be situations where people are so unsafe. Now your boundary, for example, your boundary could be, you know, if you have someone who is like a raging drunk most hours of the day, that's mm-hmm. an in-law. So your your boundary may end up looking like a cutoff, which is just saying as long as alcohol is a part of your life, because it's such a major influence you're not going to be able to be around our family. Right. Now, if that person never deals with their alcohol problem, yeah, then you and your your children may really never see them. So it looks like a cutoff. Right. But you are setting the terms on which you're willing to engage still. Right. And if they come back to you one day and they're like, you know what? I went to rehab 30 days. I've been sober for a year. 
Yeah. I'm wondering if we can have a visit. Let's try a visit. Sure. We'd love to see you. Hmm. That's how you know it's a boundary, not a cutoff. Right. Right. Okay. Hmm. That's good. So we need to remember that the point of a boundary is not to cut another party off, but to set the loving terms. On which you can connect. On which we can connect. We're able to move toward each other. That's why we're calling it setting boundaries in a kind way. All right. Well, that's a lot of stuff to think about and work on, I do think. Yes. Uh, We'd like to thank those of you who became patrons between this recording and our previous one. We have Paul and Stephanie and Christian. Thank you to all our supporters. We couldn't make this podcast possible without you, really. So we say thank you. Next week. Next week, we're talking about how shame perpetuates pornography addiction. Okay. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Good. That is all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oif.link slash 245. Find out how you can help. Go to oif.support. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever.